So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how see, I have every, a genetic predisposition every... against redheads. So because yeah, because you are one. Right. Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use beat. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. Time. Where we connect verbally to the real world. My name is Ed Leilani. I'm a world history and English teacher up here in Northern California. And uh, this week, uh, as you may have already guessed from uh, audio quality or, or background noise or Lord only knows what, uh, Damien and I are recording from home again uh, over a Skype connection. Uh, which I just I, I have to share because I've 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 got to throw you under the bus a little here because I needed to laugh earlier. Um, our our uh, we spent an hour fiddling with with uh, settings. I, I should be fair. Damien spent an hour fiddling with say, settings. You spent an hour because, saying because... polo every time I'd say Marco. Like <laughs> that's all you had to do. Like that's, you yeah, literally was, had the uh, easiest yeah, damn job. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but Damien just spent the last hour uh, fiddling with settings and fiddling with settings for that last five percent. Um, by the way, like I had ninety five yeah, percent of it figured yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just everything everything was figured out except there was this one little push, over little the tiny yeah. tiny nick. Was mm-hmm. if he was recording, he could hear me just fine. The moment he started recording, my voice dropped. Yes, and for but what it recorded we do, fine. Yeah, no, it recorded great, right. but, you know, the, the trouble is that the whole format of what we do here is that we're having a conversation, and so, you know, it's like, well, you know, I've got 95% of it figured out, well, yeah, but that last 5% is kind of crucial, <laughs> um, <laughs> only to, you know, find out in the last moments of, of all of that that the, the, <laughs> the monitoring setting <laughs> had been switched off. Uh, for for God knows what reason, like 
you don't think like that should be like in fairness to you i feel like mm. it ought to be defaulted to on like what what the hell yeah yeah but you know um so it is you know by the same token i mean you know it's it's like spending you know 15 minutes trying to figure out why my work computer won't talk to my printer only to remember right my printer i i actually have to plug it in right like because yeah. I, I had that happen during my prep period two days ago like okay fuck me mm-hmm. so yeah so we're we're if if there's any weirdness this evening, um, understand that we we are now back to uh, the the quarantine version of the show uh, because uh, at at the risk of of dating this, uh, he and I are both back at work dealing with multiple kids daily, and so you know with Delta lurking, uh, our our determination was that this is the safest way to go about doing this. Um, so here we are. And so anyway, that's that's me. That's my little tidbit for this evening. How are you doing? And who the fuck are you? <laughs> well, I'm Damien Harmony. We did get a note, by the way, from a concerned parent that you swear the most. Um, I was disappointed because it's normally you that shows the restraint, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, yeah, but well, yeah. I, I am a, a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California, and I am one hell of an engineer. Yes, you so are. That that is yes. all that I am going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my you know, god. The, the, yeah. It it if if it weren't for the fact that it would logarithmically mm-hmm. increase uh, yeah. the level of of complication, I wish there was a way for us to to actually get producer George directly involved in in the quarantine version of the show. I I think honestly. I think there's a way via Skype, yeah. but I also think that okay. the day that we record is probably a work night for him. Yeah, it's gonna be. So, yeah, it's gonna be yeah. hard for him right now. Yeah. But having said that, uh, yeah, I, I think that we'll be recording like this for a while. The upside is your commute is much smaller. Uh, yes. So that's, yes. And and I can have a beer or three. Yeah. While well, I mean, recording. I appreciate you, you know. keeping my house dry, but like I I'm yeah. pretty okay with it. Just don't spill. So. Well, yeah, I know, yeah. but like, I gotta drive home. Oh, good I call. Drive good over point. your place. I gotta drive home. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's you know it's kind of a problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, which which was the reason, of course, why we did drunk Tolkien back. That's right. When we did it was because hey, I don't have to drive anywhere. That's right. So, That's right. You know, uh, I I will say that when we made the decision that we were gonna go back to recording at home, mm-hmm. uh, my wife's response was to look across at me across the room mm-hmm. and say, oh. Oh dear, oh I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh God, that's <laughs> awful. In exactly that tone of voice. <laughs> um, you know, you know I, just because again, it means yep. I don't I don't have to drive cross town, and right. it's like yeah. So you know, and and frankly, if your house was better set up for <clears throat> recording, I would have no problem coming to you. But you yeah, know, it needs well. Must, yeah, so. my house my house is an apartment, so yeah, yeah it's kind oh. of an issue. So. But yeah. You, you see, you could have so parlayed I, that into like, you know, because I can only see this part of the screen. I'm just yeah. going to say that. Oh, yeah. You could have parlayed. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. No, I, I know. You know, yeah. as a veteran well, of know, two marriages. You get a, you get a, you get a, yeah, you get a, you get a view of my uh, uh, liquor cabinet from where I'm sitting right now over my shoulder. Yeah. But so, there, you know, there's also nothing saying. else that I could see. I'm just saying you could have sweetened the pot for your wife and none of the listeners would have been the wiser. 
So this is true. Yeah. But in any event. <clears throat> All right. So last we talked, so, it was aquatic Nazi zombies. Yes. Yeah. And an orange a, mist. A remarkably. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to try to figure out. Like, there's a part of me that really wants to get pointy headed about, like, you know, okay, wait. So, based on the lore that we've studied so far, what what is what is the deal with the orange mist? Like, where does that come from in the Zitgeist? And then I realize it's a it's a B movie, yeah, or a, or a D movie yeah. that was that was made to try to you know make quick cash because horror movies are the ones you do that with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shot and on like, location in Florida, so yeah, I mean, there's there's yeah, any number of yeah. reasons for it, uh, not the least of yeah. which being it's it's very likely that in Technicolor that might show up the easiest, or or that Good was just points. the most abundant color Good available points. at the time. Yeah, so those those were the road flares they were able to find to generate the smoke. There you go. You know, like so. you know, yeah. But that does so, that but, does yeah, bring so, us to so, 1978 though, and in 1978. Okay. We get Dawn of the Dead. Okay, now this is going to be a big deal. Yeah. I know I, from from earlier conversations, I know this is this is a turning point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so tell us what's what's going yeah. on here. So with, I mean, you know, in '68 you had Romero's uh, genre creating ultimately uh, Night of the Living Dead. It was a black and white film. It was set in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, it was accidentally subversive. Uh, I think Dawn of the Dead was his first, I'm consciously making a movie about something. Not just human interaction, but like society. And it is a deliberate sequel. It is a a deliberate um, re-entrance into that world. And it is... uh, And at this point, he's also not just doing independent films, he's also doing international films. Um, he's, okay. he's still not doing much in the way of Hollywood effort, though. So in many ways, Dawn of the Dead is the Westinghouse to Night of the Living Dead's Edison. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so that is, um, it, that is that it, it codifies a lot of zombie lore at this point. Uh, and it takes the social critique out from under the surface to putting it on the surface on purpose. The thing it's, that it's Rosa, Rosa rather than Sub Rosa, right? Right. Um, okay. Although I'm I'm gonna quibble with that just because Sub Rosa means it's up in the ceiling, and you're all standing oh, under it. Okay. In a uh, okay. In a uh, in a gathering, in a conspiracy. Uh, but yes, I mean it's basically it's 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 okay. Yeah, it's it's liminal, not subliminal. <laughs> um, okay, there. We go. That's yeah. all right. Linguistically better. Right. Yeah. Now, the thing that caused the zombies is still unspecified, and I really like his consistency through the years with that, to the point where um, in, in later movies, he, by the way, my voice is shredded because we've been teaching in person. Even though I have a oh, microphone yeah. and a PA system in my classroom, um, I've still blown out my voice because I was lecturing for three days to my drama kids on the history of drama. Um, which was fun and, and very slipshod, but, uh, so if you hear my voice cracking, it's not because I'm going through old man puberty. Um, I just, I blew out my voice in sixth period today. All right. So uh, I do like though that, um, in his world, uh, the thing that causes zombies remains unspecified, uh, to the point where scientists are looking for a cure and they never really find it. 
but the zombies are here. It's 1978. Millions have died, and the reanimated uh, corpses of them uh, are stepping up, and we're right at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse in this movie. Okay, so Night of the Living Dead felt very isolated, uh, unexplained, and it was, I mean, it was like a snow globe, right? Now we see yeah. that the scope is much larger, and we are still at the very beginning. People do not know how to deal with it, uh, which I really like. There's a layer of incompetence uh, dealing with uh, the zombies. Um, the government is failing. Social order is collapsing, but we're all at the beginning stages of that stuff. Whereas in 68, you had um, still reports of like, well, we found that posses are doing this and, and on and on and on. And you have people like you had an expert come on and do a, a radio talk show, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now it's falling apart. Um, also in the movie, it's falling apart. Now, uh, to, yeah. to date this. Um, yeah. So this is 1978. And I, I think it's interesting that he's doing a movie about the systems that we trust falling apart during the general malaise. All right. So mm -hmm. 78, we have, um, uh, fall, fall of Saigon is 75. Yes. 75, mm -hmm. 76. No, that's 75, 75. Mm -hmm. Um, and Carter is elected in 76. 76. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, and uh, like like you said, great great malaise mm -hmm. is is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're in the middle of we're not quite at the absolute high tide of mutually assured destruction with the Cold War. We didn't quite get there until Reagan, mm -hmm. but we're very close. And Carter working his hind end off mm -hmm. to try to de-escalate. Um. We have an economic recession going on. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had more than one fuel crisis, right? So, I mean, we're in we're in you know the twenty twenties minus fifty years, basically. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's really uh, everything. Everything is falling apart, and I'm trying to remember, and I'm ashamed of myself that I don't remember it, but. Mm -hmm. Thatcher got elected in seventy nine. Yeah. Okay. So because it's it's, it's, it's Thatcher, it's Afghanistan, and it's the uh, Iranian hostage crisis all happened in seventy nine. Yeah. All is all it's a banner okay. year. So it's so it's right so it's right on the cusp of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, okay. And don't so, forget urban blight. Um, I believe yeah. we are. A okay, year or two removed from the uh, blackout of New York, but I, I might be off by yeah. a margin yeah. of error there. That's what I'm trying to remember. So, yeah, major major urban centers. Mm -hmm. Everybody's terrified of, you know, skyrocketing crime rates. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Yeah. And New York blackout was 77, by the way. Okay. So, yes, so, that's so also blackout, in the lexicon. Yeah. While this was being filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now Reagan has not gotten into power, so we don't no. have the uh, public mental health. Oh no, we do because he places. did that, and he did that as governor of California in the sixties. But national scale. Oh, true. 
True. We don't. We're not. We're not. We're not seeing the explosion of homelessness yet. No, that but, we that we saw during during true, his time. True, but we are president. we we have seen the uh, the criminalization of drugs at this point. Uh, the war oh, well, on drugs yeah, is is really gearing up. It's not yeah. the marketed like, slick version of the war on drugs, but it is indeed the war on drugs. Um, yeah, no, the yeah. pop place, but the PR hasn't caught up with it yet. Right. Um, so, because, because the thing is, I mean, if you look at eighties horror movies mm-hmm. and, and this may wind later in, in this analysis of zombie flare, mm-hmm. um, but, um, Prince of darkness, which is John Carpenter, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering right, is a product of, I don't know, five or six years after this. Mm-hmm. And there is so much subliminal, oh my God, homeless people are scary involved movie. Um, because spoiler alert, um, a, a, essentially a, a church becomes the epicenter for, you know, the, the world and around the church, a horde of shambling, they might be dead or they might just be kind of mentally zombified, uh, homeless people show up and just start shuffling around, staring at the building um, and I'm trying to remember, yeah, <laughs> I want to say Iggy Pop, but I don't know I'm wrong. Um, oh, damn it. Um, rock and roll star, um, Wayne and Garth bow down to him at the beginning of Wayne's world. Where, oh, where, Alice where, Cooper. Where the, uh, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper has a bit part as kind of the leader of the undead homeless zombies. Oh, okay. In the film. And, and there's, it's, it is, it is so clearly you know, uh, subconscious fear of, of homelessness. Um, that there's, there's a part of me that wants to try to extrapolate that back to mm-hmm. this film, but I know I'm, I feel like I'm too early for y- that. You are, you absolutely are. Okay. So, all right. Okay. So in, so anyway. in this particular film, the national guard has found some success in the open country, but the cities are thoroughly fucked. Um, rural folks seem to have better luck than the city denizens do as well. Um, and I think this is what I, what I genuinely think solidifies. It doesn't, it doesn't codify it yet, but it does solidify the future of zombie movies and TV shows as being essentially modern day Westerns. And I'm going to come back around to that at the end. Um, Okay. You've got rural settings, smaller towns, wider avenues, uh, lots of people taking things into their own hands, large government failures, local efforts finding success, small communities of people banding together, essentially enacting the American dream of it doesn't matter your ethnicity, we're a melting pot because there are zombies fucking everywhere. You got a shovel, good, pick it up, go hit them over there. You're one of us. It doesn't really matter what racism used to be. Okay. All of these are essentially aspects of 1950s TV westerns. Okay, I I yeah. I will accept that without argument or mm-hmm. or really any commentary being necessary. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I buy it. So this time Romero is making deliberate choices too. Uh, first off, it's the city of Philadelphia, and I do really enjoy that he keeps staying in Pennsylvania for all of this. Um, and now this was after Philadelphia had attacked Santa Claus, but before Philadelphia <laughs> had bombed the entire city block to get rid of the black liberation uh, group move. 
So this is between yeah, okay. well, I, you know, okay, pelting I'm, Santa I'm, with I'm batteries make... and and <laughs> bombing the Black Liberation Group, the entire block that they were I'm... on. Okay, between I'm, I'm going to quibble. Sure. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm, I'm, but I'm going to quibble because I feel like that's an apples to oranges comparison um, or, or an apple to or, apples to oranges analogy because uh, pelting Santa with batteries mm-hmm. was a democratic by the people uh, uh, kind of kind of spontaneous moment of of mm-hmm. we're Philadelphia, fuck you. Mm-hmm. The the bombing of Move was top down authoritarian action. I, I agree with you to a point there. Uh, okay. I did not see White Philly coming out in mass to say they were wrong for bombing a black neighborhood. Granted. Yeah. Granted. Okay. Yeah. I. All right. And and uh, all right. yeah, we'll give me that. Give 1978 me that. Philadelphia is known for its violence and its racial tensions too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they threw batteries at fucking Santa Claus. Right. I mean, like, it, it, yeah. There you go. You know. I, now, I I feel like you don't ever need to say anything else about Philly except, <laughs> dude, batteries and Santa Claus, and right. you're done. Yeah. You know, with, with that being said, I think it's interesting that that he's that he's setting this film there. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, if there's any urban center where, you know, people have have the the wherewithal to probably do better than any place else, one would think that a city that's that fucking ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and the thing is, like, you, you bring yeah. up an excellent point because he could have picked a small town, a small rural town in Pennsylvania. Um, he did that for Night of the Living Dead. Um but clearly yeah. he's looking to show the breakdown of society. So Philly. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. But one one could argue that the breakdown was already, you know, started mm-hmm. in Philly before mm-hmm. you introduce any kind of additional oh, I think most urban you know, centers especially on the eastern seaboard, uh, would be good evidence of that. Because I mean, again, the the urban blight was huge, partly due to the war on drugs, partly due to the recession, yeah. uh, partly due to the receding of social services, the failed yeah. promises of the Great Society, etc. Uh, oh, and also the okay. American government killing uh, leaders of black separation and black liberation movements. So yeah, well, yeah, yes. So Naturally. political political dissidents are threatening social stability, and the media is doing a really bad job of informing people of this. Um. That's in the movie. I'm not just saying, you know, what's happening yeah, today. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to date yeah. the show. Um, our protagonist. <laughs> our, uh, the the uh, thing I keep coming back to is all these zombie films is like, it's now. <laughs> like, then is now. Um, I, I showed you a video yeah. of, of that guy on the plane. And the, the reason I showed it was not so much his attitude when he actually got up and the whiny little bitchiness that as he gets and sat down it was the first 10 oh, seconds of him zombieing like chewing, out like chewing on his he making looked, yeah. noises yeah, yeah. He so, so for those of you who, who aren't you know in damien's and my you know uh messaging stream um the the reference that, that damien is making is there's a there's a video on tiktok of some privileged asshole uh, who, who in first class? Um, in first, uh, with that leg room, that carrier? shit was first yes. class, and he got All up right. to the front of the the fuselage. Oh away. yeah, okay, yeah, he good was point. In first class. All right, yeah. So so he's yeah. in yeah, he's a first class passenger. 
sorry, I, I grew up as the child of an airline pilot. So every time we flew first class, I had to be wearing a necktie. So, <laughs> so there's, there's a disconnect for me there, but yeah, you're probably, you, you yeah, observationally, I, I can't argue with your point. Uh, but anyway, this, this is a somewhat older than you and me. He's probably in his fifties mm-hmm. white guy in a, in a t-shirt and shorts uh, who is having a meltdown, just a complete fucking tantrum. But it's not uh, just a tantrum. It is. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I understand. I'm, I'm going to get to that. Okay. But for, for background, he's, he's, you know, losing his shit over the fact that he's being required to wear a mask. He's clearly intoxicated. And the way he goes about uh, enacting this is as Damien has has said, he goes full zombie. Yeah. Like he literally starts chewing on the mask and and like rocking. big wide eyes, making yeah. like rocking back, like like no shit. He looks like a zombie. The remark mm-hmm. I, I made to Damien was like, okay, no. When they actually act this way, <laughs> like you you can't tell me that like this is about people we don't like. No he's actually doing it like mm-hmm. like he's acting it's it's almost like he's consciously acting it out mm-hmm. and when they when they choose to do that like come on so yeah and and i don't i don't want to get into the rest of it because, because yeah. i don't want to spoil the thesis i know is coming but just like come the hell on man yeah. like yeah, and and it would be it would be hysterically funny watching these people have these kind of meltdowns if it weren't for the fact that it makes me want to punch all of them in the fucking neck, mm-hmm. like like hard. Yeah, because like. the the subject that they're doing it over is something that's putting everybody else at risk. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. 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 Anyway. So uh, our our protagonist, her name is Fran. Uh, she realizes that her station is giving outdated information about evacuations to the people of Philly. Her boyfriend is the helicopter pilot, and he's planning to steal the news station's helicopter to fly to safety. Uh, The station is WGON, or We Gone. I'm just kind of tickled by that. Now, across the town, across Philly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. Uh, across Philly, the city SWAT team is preparing to launch an assault on a low-income tenement building with, with a, filled with African-American and Hispanic refugees who refuse to leave their homes uh, in favor of emergency shelters. So the only way to get them out is to attack them. Now, they're also refusing to give up their dead, both the deceased and the reanimated, because it's the opening rounds of the apocalypse so some people probably think this is a a reversible condition or this is a temporary condition Uh, so there's that so they uh the people living in this tenement building they are harboring a whole bunch of zombies in the basement of the tenement complex and the SWAT team is getting ready to attack the living shit out of this low-income place so instead of evacuating people uh this is one of those we have to burn down your shelter so that you I mean, they didn't actually say this, but essentially we have to destroy your shelter so that you can then come to the evacuation center and be safe. So it is from a okay, perspective of... we have to of, destroy the village in order to save it. Yeah. Uh, it is from yeah. the perspective of we're trying to save you, but I didn't see them attacking any other large groups. Um, yeah. Now, one of the SWAT troopers, his name is Wooly, 
uh, he goes crazy and he starts killing innocent and unarmed folks and zombies alike because of the stress of what he's doing. Uh, the Wooly then gets killed by a tall person in a gas mask uh, who is the only black main character named Peter. Peter meets Roger. Roger is a SWAT officer uh, who saw what was happening, and the two of them work together to destroy a bunch of zombies next door. And then a it's kind of a buddy cop type thing. The two of them start to talk about what was happening and escaping together, and they both found common cause and work together. So okay. you have a man who killed a cop, uh, and you have a cop, but the cop that he'd killed was going ape shit. So it's kind of justified. And this cop pretty much uh, tacitly consented to that. Okay. Now, you also have in uh, Peter a black man whose history we don't know. And we have a white cop uh, who's seeing his own blue brothers breaking down.
the worst thing that could happen in a role playing game is loss of your player agency. And so yes, kind yes. of tickled this is me true. there. Yeah. So they have to kill him, right? And then the three of them live in the mall, uh, and it's it's pretty much uh, you know uh, not Roger Peter is kind of third third wheeling it uh, mm-hmm. because Stephen and Fran are a couple, uh, and and there is a little bit of. A racial component there as well, uh, because two white okay. folks and a black person, uh, and so you know what's what, what's what are the dynamics being used there, and and by yeah. and large they they don't fall into them too terribly much, but there's one point where Peter sets up a dinner for them to enjoy, and then he kind of you know bounces away, um, a little servanty, but at the same time it's it's also something a nice guy would do for his friends who yeah. are a couple. Um, Okay, so uh, let's see. Roger's dead, uh, and they have to kill him. So uh, then the three of them are living until all the TV and radio and transmissions stop. Oh wow! Yeah, now that's pro- bleak. Yeah, and and remember, Fran that's was like part of each bleak. Yeah, and remember, Fran was part of the media, right? So it's it's kind of an important thing for her. Um, now, prior to stopping the transmissions, admit to the downfall of civilization. So, sorry, folks. Uh, shit's busted. Um, and okay. time's passing is marked by Fran's pregnancy, by the way, uh, and Peter's oh. boredom. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Lovely. They start to argue over the TV at one point, which is hilarious to me because there's going to be multiple TVs. Um, and everyone starts to realize that the mall has become just as much a sanctuary as it is a prison or just as much a prison as it is a sanctuary. Prison as it is a sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. So Fran gets the idea, you know what, Stephen, you should probably teach me how to fly the helicopter. It shouldn't just be one person. Um, And so he does. Um, And they're flying all over the place. Of course, they're going to need to go get fuel. And on one uh, of the flying lessons, there's a nomadic biker gang that is driving through. And those bikers spot them and follow them to the mall. And the bikers want in. And the bikers are not zombies. And yet they basically undo every bit of protection that these people had. Now, at this point, Stephen Stephen is very territorial and he attacks the bikers. uh, And Peter had said, look, we we have built things here where we could just hide. They can blow through and take whatever they need. We've still got plenty of stuff hidden away. We can just hide from all this. And Stephen's like, no, this is mine. Uh. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, Macho idiot. Yeah. Wow. So Stephen gets himself shot by the the bikers, uh, and he's weakened enough to then get bit by a zombie and get turned. Uh, And, of course, because reasons, he ends up leading the horde back to Fran and Peter. Uh, Peter and Fran escape, but they have very little fuel, and nothing is particularly solved. That's basically it. Um, okay. Yeah. So wow. This movie, right. yeah, go ahead. No, 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 carry yeah. on. This movie more than any other uses zombies as empty ciphers. They have meaning beyond menace and subconscious assumption. Um and the zombies outside the mall are basically window shopping for food. Okay. Their needs are ultimately simple. 
and they surround the mall. And again, this is 1978. Malls, like you said, are a relatively new thing. Humans would flock to them, following their compulsion to consume. Zombies, not that much different, therefore. Romero is clearly calling this out on purpose. So this is what the zombies are starting to become. Fran never wanted to stay in the mall, uh, but the three men that she's with outvote her. Uh, they wanted to settle in. They want to defend their stronghold. Kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, first edition D&D. Um, a little bit. Yeah. They wanted to settle, and the zombies become the frontier menace to their homestead. Okay, yeah, extending the, the Western mm-hmm. analogy there. And okay. she wants right. to survive, which means grabbing what's needed and moving on. But she's outvoted, and the desire to stake a claim and to hold property and to defend it against the frontier menace of the zombies is ultimately what dooms the two white men. The woman and the black man are the two that survive. And this time, the subversion, I think, is on on purpose. Because in a horror film, who's the first one to die? Well, the the BIPOC dude. Yeah is always the first one to go. Right. And yet he survives. Uh, And, and by the way, who's what, what character always survives the entire uh, play, the entire movie. It's always the young virgin girl. Right. Yeah. The final girl. Yeah. Yeah, But she's, she's virgin. But Fran here is pregnant. Yeah. 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 So there's kind of a Virgin Mary. There is, but also aspect it, going she's, on there. She, we know that they fucked. We know that they were not married. We've got, we've got all this evidence here. I think it's um, Romero sticking to the formula on some level, but inverting it a little. Okay. You know. All right. Yeah. So the mall is a consumerist trap. Uh, the danger that's brought about by the Breaker Gang is actually what liberates them from that trap, which I get a kick out of. Um, although it is uh, a sheer and deadly terror that they are liberated into. Um, But they can't be bored anymore. (laughs) Steven's boredom is no longer a problem. Uh, And they also can't... Steven is no longer a problem. Well, also true, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Um, And they also can't pretend that everything is fine. Uh, They have to deal with the world again, and they have to leave. They have to move on. Your homestead is on fire. Only by be, by leaving behind consumerism can folks begin to live more authentic lives again. Okay. And I think that's what Romero's saying. And it's also very biblical, too. I found a, a book in the Bible, Zechariah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, book 14, chapter, or, or chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. Quote, Their flesh shall rot while they are still on their feet. Their eyes shall rot in their sockets and their tongues shall rot in their mouths. On that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that each will seize the hand of a neighbor and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, evocative. And if you take a look at who gets bit where, it's almost always getting bit on the hand. Okay, so which makes sense when it's defensive wounds, like yeah, yeah. I mean, that. you know, defense. Yeah, that was but what also, I was going to say. Is defensive yeah. defensive wounds are a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what I find interesting is the biblical reference that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, may their may their flesh rot while they're while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that is. I mean, to me, knowing the context in which that was that was written down, uh, that's 
pretty clearly a direct reference to uh, leprosy. Mm-hmm. Um, Although leprosy itself was kind of a catch-all phrase for any skin disease back then. True. Yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm talking Still, about yeah. you know what is what is nowadays recognized as no no true. Yeah, leprosy, actual leprosy. Yeah. You know. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I, but what's interesting is the, the subconscious parallel between the fate of lepers historically and, uh-huh. you know, what being a zombie is. Oh yeah. In, in modern lore, um, you know, the idea that, that as a, as a leper in the ancient world, uh, the moment you first showed symptoms, mm-hmm. you you became an outcast. Yes, like you you were you were shunned completely. Oh yeah, because you know nobody the the germ theory of disease wasn't understood. You know nowadays, of course, if you contract it, there are antibiotics you can take relatively early on to treat the disease. Right, but you know in in a world before that level of medicine. Um, you know, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're going to die a long, lingering, painful death, uh, during which you literally rot while you're still alive. Yep. And you know what? What that and and the social horror of it was having all of your agency taken away. You you became not a person anymore. You know. Um, there's a reason that that you know in the New Testament there are there are mention there is mention of helping lepers mm-hmm. is a thing because that was that was the the height of no 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 I'm talking about I'm not just talking about the marginalized I'm talking about the ultimately marginalized mm-hmm. uh, that that you need to help even these people who are. You know, so so terribly marginalized as to be terrifying because of what it is that marginalizes them. Um, and so that that is an interesting. Now that now that we're you know talking about it, and and since you bring the Bible into it, it's an interesting mm-hmm. juxtaposition of what the core horror of zombieism is. Uh, you know, compared to what Zechariah was was you know threatening people with as mm-hmm. a prophet of the Lord. Yeah, uh, another fun juxtaposition is because everybody's defending themselves and keeps getting bitten on the hand. It kind of recalls stigmata. A little bit. Uh huh. A little bit. Yeah. Um, also, our hands are what we use to acquire. Mm-hmm. We grab something. We grab it with our hands, right? Uh, and and then it's it's how talking about agency. Our hands are what we use to manipulate our environment. Yeah, exactly. So I and, mean, yeah, I mean, on, on multiple levels, the idea of everybody mm-hmm. being bitten on the hand is is symbolically important. Yes. Um, also, on a on a kind of more practical level um mm-hmm. that's actually one of the things you know my buddies and i you know in college uh you know 
uh, skylarking about this or spitballing about this stuff, you know, two o'clock in the morning on a, mm-hmm. on a weekend. Uh, we talked about, you know, what would be the best gear to actually carry if you wound up, you know, stuck in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and the first thing, like universally, one of the first things we agreed on was, no, no, get yourself some serious plate gauntlets. Mm, yeah, like you know, right, right Keep up those the bat, hands protected. Right? Yeah. All, all the way, all the way, you know, as yep. close up to the elbows you can get. Plate gauntlets, get a buckler in one hand, and I think we wound up agreeing that a short-handled war hammer, mm-hmm. in the, like a historical, not like Thor's hammer, the balance on that right, is right, shit, right. but a historical short-handled war hammer in the right is like, there you go. Like, if you're if you're going to have to fight your way through zombies, right. that's... That's your starting point. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think a, a you know, blunt weapon that does acute damage. Uh, yeah, concentrated blunt, yeah. blunt force trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as I'm enamored of a broadsword, but yeah, you know. Anyway, back to the point. It. So yeah, at at the end of the day, the movie is still just a zombie movie. Um, and uh, <laughs> what I'm seeing though is that these particular zombies fade into the background menace of of the movie. Uh the the real menace is the biker gang that opens them up to being attacked by the background menace. Uh the real menace is the interpersonal problems that they're having with each other. Essentially, the zombies like Native Americans in a western um are there to heighten tension and deepen the stakes. Zombies in Romero's movies become mere background noise to what turns into a drama about people who have given up on fighting for meaning in their lives and succumb to a living death themselves. Okay. So the the stagnation of mm-hmm. survival yes. in in the mall. Yes. As opposed to actually having lives with you know, where they're actually doing something. Yeah, lives with purpose. Yeah. And so they essentially, okay. uh, the mall has done more to strip away their humanity than a zombie stip- stripping away their flesh would have done. It's like the lotus eaters. Yes. Yes, but it's it's without the fun <laughs> and without <laughs> other people inviting you to the orgy. Like, yeah, yeah, without... without... You're not... Well, lotus eaters, eaters so much as like you're eating Twinkies. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and actually, Twinkies is a perfect example. Yeah. So, and yeah. I, I don't think that TV shows and movies with zombies really go much beyond that theme at all either. I think they keep coming to the same point. From this point forward, you're going to see the major ones end up doing that. I do think that you see well, an enormous uh, inflation of that in in Zombieland, which then opens the door for The Walking Dead. Um, so you'll see it kind of deflating until then, and then, but you're still going to have this. If we're if Western we're talking style. about in a in a in an acted visual medium, mm-hmm. Zombie Land opening the way for The Walking Dead makes sense. I'm mm-hmm. going to quibble about the fact that as a comic book, The Walking Dead predates Zombie Land by a while. Yeah, by about uh, nine years. But yeah, I'm but, I'm but talking I mostly. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about talking movies about and TV shows. Yeah, yeah, and American yeah. ones at that. I did Broadcast not. Media. I did not get into the Spanish and Italian zombie films, um, <laughs> because except Jesus. to mention that they exist, and an awful lot of them were like porn. Yeah, yeah. So which I still don't get, but 
anyway, that's we're getting off the subject. You're gonna so, love when we get to zombie strippers, then. Um, yeah. Oh God. So. I... This is the 1980s coming up, and what you have is a straight-to-video market that exists, Um, and the zombie movies and zombie referencing movies start to come out into the uh, straight-to-video market, which uh, back then you didn't have Blockbuster yet. You still had, like, corner stores. So there were a lot of independent and straight-to-video movies that would actually get rented because there was only one or two copies of the latest movies. Um, zombiness is mostly there as the monster uh, that the protagonists have to fight. And sometimes there's a cause, yeah. sometimes there's not. There's never really a crucial need for zombies in the movie, though. Um, you know, it, it's caused by a meteor or a yellow cloud, fog, whatever. Um, and so that's kind of what you start to see in the, the, the straight-to-video straight to, to cassette market. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about Video cassette. Because, okay, so, so Dawn of the Dead Uh is 78. Yes. My family got a VCR. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was a Panasonic Uh, VHS Mm -hmm. because my dad talked to a bunch of guys who said, yeah, yeah, the video quality is better on beta, but VHS is the, is what's going to win. Yep. Um, which like they got right, which if you knew anything about my family's history, wow, Uh, that's like one of the few times that's, that's happened in, in that kind of context. But, um, and, and I want to say that was 84. That's about right for us too. 83, 84. We, we rented Uh, a VHS player from the, from the store. Along oh, okay. with movies, okay, yeah, yeah. all right, because that because that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and and I know there are a whole bunch of millennials listening listening to us going like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, uh, and a whole bunch of Gen Xers. Well, okay, five or six Gen Xers listening to. I mean, demographically, it's just the way it works. Uh, listening to us going, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, um, big colorful buttons, wood paneling. Uh, Oh yeah, they they tried to make them look like like you know TV cabinets. It mm-hmm. was really kind of thing, but okay. And and so I'm trying to think how far ahead of the curve, mm-hmm. or or how far behind the curve. Knowing my family, were we with with that being when we we got one i'm trying to remember when they when when was the vcr first released like as as a thing well i i know that um first released is not really the marker you want to look for you want to look for when it was commercially viable for most middle-income families to get good point because most did get it shortly around 84 85 okay um 86 you're gonna start seeing it really swelling um yeah because okay. one of the reasons that it it's slow at first is because video cassettes cost an arm and a goddamn leg oh yeah and they then they started figuring expensive. out yeah then they started figuring out how to make those cheaper so that you're buying a license and then you can get 10 copies for much cheaper and you could rent that out instead of buying an 80 dollar video cassette um for each one 
Because I remember my parents okay. spent yeah. about $80 on the Three Amigos. But then when Batman came out, that was only like 10 to 15 bucks. Yeah. Wow. How much for the Three Amigos? About 80 bucks. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah my dad refused to buy any movies. Sure. Because he was like, how many times are we going to watch it? Um. Okay, so so according to Wikipedia, VCR started gaining mass market traction in 1975. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 1979, uh, there were three competing technical standards using, and this is important, mutually incompatible tape cassettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have to go to the right section of the corner video right. store. So this is still this. What you're reading is is way before. The masses, yeah. really. Oh, do. oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Seventy-eight uh, consumers in the UK chose to rent rather than purchase, and that's that's okay. Hold on, Philips Video, which just died. Yeah, but anyway. Um, yeah, we're so we're getting whole, to we're, we're Ed getting, Reed's getting, Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, we're we're getting we're getting way off the subject. Sorry, yeah. but you know, uh, um, the the what. It, what I find interesting is that there was a whole subgenre of movies that you looked up that had to do with being direct to video. Yes. And like in my own head, I didn't think of direct to video as being a thing until later. Well, I think because, I mean, we would go to movies and stuff like that. We would see movies and whatnot. Um, and so then when you go to the, the movie store, the, you know, on the corner, um, you'd see way more movies than you saw advertised, and you just would have thought, "Oh, those were probably in different theaters." Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, that makes like, sense. I never saw ten advertised in the theater, but yeah, you know, but there was the box right there with Bo Derek yeah, on the cover. So yeah, it was, yeah, true. I assumed that that was released in a theater somewhere, and it probably was. Yeah, but. So, yeah. in 1985, anyway. you get the yeah. movie Frozen Scream, uh, which basically says that uh, zombies came about as a botched attempt at immortality. But they're really not zombies. They're just reanimated. So, you're starting to see kind of a blending there. Um, these these particular ones have their own will, and they're really aggressive as their conditions deteriorate. So, I wouldn't call that a zombie movie. It's zombie adjacent. Um the movie in 1985, The Night of the Comet, came out, and this was actually oh. the, the inspiration for Buffy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it starred Robert Beltran. You might yeah. remember him as Chicote. Yes. But the zombies were a side effect of a comet that either pulverized people or it zombified them. Like there was nothing in between. There was. There was no. There, yeah. yeah. And, and it was. And isn't isn't this the one with with the two uh, sisters as the protagonists? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, and and yeah. it's kind of hinted that their father is like a green beret or something. Something like that. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. a fairly okay. tongue-in-cheek movie. It kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of Repo Man, quite honestly, dealing kinda, with some yeah. dark shit, yeah. but in a funny way. Yeah, same, same vibe. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's not much in the way of a zombie film, uh, as the zombies in this are very ancillary to the plot, right? Uh, and they the zombies even pick up a weapon on occasion. It's more of an apocalypse with just a sprinkling of zombies than it is a zombie yeah. film. Yeah. But eventually, we get to Day of the Dead. And so I want to talk about Day of the Dead to wrap this episode up. Um, this is Romero's third movie in the series. 
and it's released in 1985. And it is bleak, like super bleak. Uh, zombies outnumber humans 400,000 to 1. Uh, humans survive in underground bunkers. There's hardly any hope. People are trying to figure out what to do to solve the problem, and it still doesn't have a known cause. Um, so this movie, uh, whereas the other ones take place in fairly open air, whether it's the confines of a house or not, it's still open air. You can escape to the outside. Or whether it's a mall, which has you know giant vaulted ceilings, this one takes place underground most of it. And so you get this isolation feeling to the cinematography, this hopelessness. Claustrophobic. Yes. And leads to kind of a besieged mentality. When people are besieged, they start to act out in different ways. And so it has led to a lack of communication between different human communities. And this means that the humans are left uh, to, to themselves and they are all starting to lose their humanity within these small hamlets. Scientists are trying to solve and understand the zombie pandemic, uh, but they're belittled and threatened and harassed and whatnot by the military people who are now in charge. So it's kind of turned into alpha pack type stuff. Um, okay. The people in charge tend to be military men who are absolutely losing their grip on reality, but since they have the guns, everyone else kind of has to go along with it. Uh, Romero himself said that this movie specifically, uh, my finger just dragged across the quote, specifically is, quote, a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes chaos and collapse, even in this small little pie slice of society. Okay. So this is a movie about isolation, and, and, and um, yes, they're safe, but are they really getting to be humans? So... You know, if the first one was about ultimately confusion, and the second yeah. one is about complacency. Consumerism. Yeah. Complacency and consumerism. And this one is about isolation and militarism. Um, okay. And, and the zombies are there, but they're kind of a background menacing thing. They're outside of the human experience in general. They are the Indians on the warpath. Uh, the real movie is about the folks inside the settlement who feel threatened. The scientists, as well as the helicopter pilot, who is the only black man in the film this time, they begin to opine that this is actually a divine punishment and that there's no point to restarting society in this context and that some of the scientists should find a deserted island and a homestead out there. Eventually, it all breaks oh, wow. down completely, and someone lets the zombies into the bunker. And then all hell breaks loose, and the helicopter pilot, the main scientist, and the drunken and grizzled radio operator, they all escape in the helicopter, and they head to the desert island. But only after the entirety of civilization that they were a part of completely breaks down. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I, I remember mm -hmm. I've seen clips of the climax of that with the zombies running yes. at the chain link fence and yes. helicopter taking off. What I find interesting is in in that film and I think in, in most of them since then the climax of the film is whatever human drama has happened now all of a sudden oh shit uh, the wall has fallen and now there's zombies everywhere we're being overrun by the horde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we stressed you to the, the breaking point. Now the horde's going to break you. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and that is the the culmination of all of the interpersonal social order, Mm -hmm. philosophical, whatever, whatever drama you want to have, whether we're talking about it being, you know, the generals in that movie or Mm -hmm. Negan in the walking dead, uh, you know, ultimately it, it comes down to, and now the fortress has fallen. We have zombies inside the wire and, you know, um, and, and yeah, I, I think it, it brings me back to what you, what you said about, uh, you know, the zombies being the, the, you know, background threat mm-hmm. rather than the main focus of the, of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a, a, a fundamental part of the structure ever since then mm-hmm. that, it's kind of the pattern again, pattern on the wallpaper stuff. Like we talk about all yep. the time, yep. like looking, looking at the way those stories work. It's like, Oh, Oh, okay. Well that's, that's not really the horror involved here. Right. The horror is the other people. It was coming from within the house that's the whole the, time. The whole time. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's kind of a noodle baker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right there, you know, well, uh, uh, to, to consider that. Yeah, and and I'm gonna add a few eggs to those noodles for you. Uh, it's 1985 okay. when this movie comes out, right? So the breakdown yeah. of society is getting grander and grander in Romero's films. Uh, the first time, remember, it was a localized event, and it ended up in a single house. Um, and it was really the overreaction of a posse that killed our protagonist then. And still, it was a fairly rural house, and uh, the posses were only one or one of the only things that was finding safety and success against the zombies. And even them, they were more deadly than the zombies were to our main protagonist. In the second movie, they found a mall that had everything they needed, but it turned out to be a prison for them as well, right? And only two people survived. Uh, and it cer- wasn't even certain that they would. And Philadelphia had collapsed, the mall had ended up gone. The radio uh, that we hear at the end says that society is crumb, or heard in the beginning, said that society is crumbling. But mostly we only really saw suburbia uh, and a major okay. city failing. So the first one was a single home. The second one is a city and a suburb. This time, all of humanity is clearly reduced to bunkered in societies. We have literally gone back to our caves. And we are barely scraping by civilization. Madness is taking hold, and intellectualism is being marginalized more and more all the whole time. Strong men are in charge, and those same strong men are basically the cause of the downfall of the society they're supposed to lead and protect. And it's not like the scientists are much better because they're running macabre experiments that defile the dead even more by keeping the undead and experimenting on them. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of a major tension. That's point. that's kind of that's kind of a recurring theme too. Yep. yep. In in stuff going forward. Uh huh. So the gore is also more visceral now. Literally in this movie, it's more visceral. They're digging from the guts a lot more. They're not biting hands as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's severed body parts much more often. There's blood in the mouth. The makeup is more sophisticated. The zombies are still basically shambling and ambling too. Uh, the gore is definitely more pronounced, complete with blood smears down the hallway and splatters on the wall. All of this is happening in 1985. 
You want to you want to dig into 1985 a little bit? Because in '78 we're talking the Great um, Malays. What's going yeah. on in '85? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the 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 lyrics to the song in 19. 19, 1985 um, was like the first thing that popped into my head. But uh, Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana. Um, <laughs> and there's still music on MTV. But um, let's see what was, hap- was actually happening in the world. In, in the headline of Afghanistan being a huge thing with the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. um the Olympics were the year before right. in LA. Gorbachev is now the head of the Gorbachev U- USSR. Gorbachev is now in charge of the USSR. Mm-hmm. Um, U.S. It's, becomes it's, a debtor nation for the first time. Oh, yeah, good point. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the height of the Reagan era. Yep. It's the it's the beginning of the second term of yep. Reagan. And I don't think there was public perception of the extent to which he was asleep at the switch and, and everything was being done by, you know, the cabinet under right. him. But that was there. Yes. Um, i trying to remember, when is it that Reagan wound up going in for surgery and Bush wound up being president for several hours? I and, believe that like, was a couple of years later. Okay. Yeah, and he took a nap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Well, because, I mean, honestly, it was all symbolic. symbolic. I mean, Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I know. But yeah. that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's yeah. like, you know, yeah, we've we've had the handover to the vice president mm-hmm. for the time the president is going to be, you know, uh, incapacitated. And the acting president has decided to take a nap because the cabinet are the ones actually doing everything. Um, anyway, um don't forget TWA flight 820 no 847 got hijacked. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. Now, what, I'm trying to remember 847 what was what was where where was that? That one was a couple Shiites. Um they threw the American hostage's body out the plane. Oh, right, right, right. And yeah. and it was to basically get Israel to release prisoners. And Israel released two dozen, a little more, uh, prisoners. Uh, and and then the hostages were released. Okay. Yeah. Oh, also remember, okay. Colombia executes a whole bunch of people. The Boland Amendment has kicked in. So the Iran-Contra scandal is kicking in. Uh, let's see what yeah. else. Um Oh, what else? There was also... Uh, Falklands see. was 80... 82, 83, I think. 84. Yeah. 82, 83. Yeah. Um, Grenada was 80... When was Grenada? I believe that was 83. It was Reagan. Yeah, that was, was 83. 83. Um, oh, I uh, think uh, what dread disease was really starting to ramp oh, up. Oh, well, yeah, HIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fear of blood transfusions and things like that. So you see fear all this of, shit yeah, happening. All the yeah, oh, oh, and that that yep. really that makes all of the yep. all of the visible you know blood smeared on the walls mm-hmm. gore that much more mm-hmm. interesting from a Zit guy's perspective. Yes. 
So you've got all this stuff okay. happening in 85, and it really does feel like things are coming off the rails and that the people in charge are increasingly disconnect from it and, and frankly, crazy. Um, in 1978, remember, it's the general great malaise, right? Yeah. Um, so in 68, 78, and 85, Romero makes zombie movies. I just I think that's yes. interesting. Now, in this one, the military isn't saving anyone either. They are an oppressive force that is ultimately self-coercive. Science isn't saving anyone. They can't. They're almost as cannibalistic as the zombies are, too. Your scientists are starting to run wild-ass experiments on zombies. Everyone is in the bunkers the whole time, which is hearkening back to the old days of cave-dwelling humanity. Uh, whereas the rest of the movies, movies feature protagonists who go from the outside into the inside as things get tense, this one starts underground and doesn't really leave it. And even as the zombies are invading, the protagonists find that they get trapped inside by the people who are abusing the technology and their nihilism, and the controls have all been smashed by the army. The pressure, the claustrophobia so, of it all, is palpable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here's a question. Mm-hmm. 85. Yes. Now, we're, now we are, as a matter of fact, at the absolute high watermark of the Cold War. I was going to say, that's right. All Mutually this is lining up. Yep. And, and the metaphor for a, for a nuclear fallout bunker mm-hmm. is kind of hard to avoid. There here. you go. I was hoping, I was hoping you were going to get there, but if not, I figure I'd describe it a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and they're hunkered down underground. Yep. yep. The world, the world as we knew it has been completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, cause, cause, you know, thinking about what was on everybody's mind, what was, what was in the zitgeist, um, when was the day after? I want to say was that was 86. 86. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're in the ballpark. Oh yeah. This yeah. isn't, this yeah. isn't responding to the day after, but it's, it's responding to the same forces that led yes. to the, the, the making of the day after. Yes. Threads was... I'm trying to remember whether threads was before or after the day after. Um, but I mean, this this is a point where science fiction is. Oh, I'm sorry. The day full. after was 83. I apologize. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm there you go. Something different. So, you know, I mean, this, this is a point at which we're seeing multiple. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about realistically what is what is nuclear winter going to look like? What what is going to happen? Uh, there's yep. a there's an amazingly effective gut wrenching uh, British animation called When the Wind Blows. I remember that one. I think it's British. Yeah, it is because it, uh, it has the same style common, as the uh, yeah, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Wow. Uh, when When the Wind Blows. That's just like oh my god. Uh, just, just a gut punch that, that mm-hmm. is, that is about, Hey, we're in England and there's been a nuclear exchange and this is what we can all expect. Yes. Uh, melted, uh, and, melted and, milk and, bottles. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's watership down level of, of horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the, the day after. Yep. And, and science fiction at this time even outside of the zombie subgenre, the genre of SF is full of everything is post-apocalypse. Yep. Um, which is a little bit of an overstatement, but you know, broad but yeah, brush. I, I get where you're going. Yeah. 
you know, uh, there's there's a huge number. Uh, I think I think it's around the same time that uh, the the short story "A Boy and His Dog" mm-hmm. um, gets turned into a movie. That might oh have yeah, been yeah. Early. might have been in the '70s. And let's talk about a bleak post-apocalypse story there. Yep. Um, and I'm completely blanking on the author's name of the original short story. Um, and somebody can, can correct us cause you know, I'm a couple of beers in and it's late at night, but, um, anyway, dangerous visions is, is the, the, the anthology of his that is most famous. And yeah, I'm ashamed of myself as a literary science fiction geek, but, um, anyway, I mean, this, this is when all of those kind of films are getting made because that's what's on everybody's mind. Mm hmm. Because we have, you know, the the government of the United States staring at the government of the Soviet Union across this ideological divide with each side backed up by enough thermonuclear weapons to reduce the planet to a cinder. Yeah. Oh, it's Harlan Ellison you're thinking of. Thank you. Sure. I was just realizing because uh, I was like, I even knew that because he also directed a bunch of episodes of The Twilight Zone in the 1980s. So, yeah, so. yeah. So the problem I had with this movie in a large way okay. was that yeah. it kind of Bobby from Dallas in that at, as the trio is escaping <laughs> and they're finally Bobby getting outside, John and Bill cover Sarah so she can get to the helicopter. And as she gets to the helicopter, hands reach out to grab her and then she wakes up from the nightmare. Oh, so you remember when Pam goes into the yeah. shower and she wakes yeah. up and turns out Bobby's there and says, good morning. Um, she wakes up. She's on a beach uh, with the helicopter and the men are fishing by the shore. And then she arbitrary and in here is, I think, Romero he kind of fell apart at the end, quite honestly. She mar- or he didn't tidy up his writing. He, he, uh, OK. Yeah. All right. Um, she marks her calendar, and it's November the 4th, which is historically the Day of the Dead. I, I still think that they escaped, and there, there's nothing to tell me that they didn't go through the whole ordeal, but it still just feels very half-witted. Like, it almost it feels like that scene in the end of the Holy Grail, where everybody gets arrested because Monty Python ran out of money. <laughs> so, well, they ran out of money, and they didn't know how yeah. to end it. So, so they, here they always admitted endings were what they like they couldn't do. Yeah, well, and that's that's a you know. function of of good slapstick. Honestly, is their bits sewn together? It's not a plot. So here we are with three different Romero zombie movies, right? And everyone else is just kind of holding space in between. Uh, now the Romero movies have become the milestones, the measuring sticks for the rest of them, and zombies have gotten more ravenous and more numerous and bloodier, and humanity has gotten less hopeful, less capable. And really less human. Um, I'm going to finish up by talking about Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Uh, It was a comedy. uh, But it actually introduces a fair amount of zombie lore into what becomes pretty canonically true of zombies in movies after this. Zombies in this movie specifically ate brains. Oh, okay. They also talked. You know, Brains. exactly, and they yeah. ran. 
And I think that's oh. interesting. Now, all of First these things. See fast zombies. Yeah. All of these things are quite a bit more common afterwards, but this is where they started. And the government actually nukes the city of Louisville, Kentucky with a tactical nuke. And even though it's a successful bombing, the graves begin to howl at the end, telling us that another wave of zombies is coming. Now, per the usual, after Day of the Dead, several zombie films came out, and most of them were comedies of some sort, as often happens. And uh, there were some that just, you know, were movies that featured zombies, okay? Um, but uh, I think that's where I want to... Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more, and then I'll stop when I get to Flesh Eater. So we've got one that... Uh, <laughs> That codified running, brain-eating, and slight talking. Now, a couple of things are happening. Okay, yeah. So so this is not a Romero film? No. No. So Romero has created okay. three three milestones, and everybody's dancing around them. Okay. And yeah. now the, the title, remind us again of the title of this one. Uh, this was The Return of the Living Dead, and it was a comedy. Return of the Living yeah. Dead. Okay. So, but here's the deal. Okay. It, 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 it directly builds on the Romero mythos. Like, well, all of I feel that. like all of them are responding the one way or the other okay. to Romero. Like I, I said, like he, he has created the milestones. Oh yeah. No, he's, he's definitely the trip codifier. I had always like in my own head, return of the living dead, which I have seen, mm-hmm. um, which is a story in and of itself. But, um, I, I always felt like it was a sequel within the night, uh, dawn, day, like, universe. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm remembering the opening sequence, um, it's, it's, it's like they find a barrel of, of something. Yes. Some kind of toxic chemical yes. corpse in the middle of it. And that's, that's what yep. winds up leading to the awake. And it was like... This is a relic from this other zombie incident. Is is oh you're thinking no you're thinking of the sequel you're thinking of Return of the Living Dead Part Two. Oh, and that's not until 1988. Tarface. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So prior to that though, there's a couple things that are happening. First of all, you've got cheap studio movies that are making their money back very easily, as we've discussed before. Um, oh, yeah. Secondly, there were legitimately 15 zombie movies, or at least zombies that featured zombies, or movies that featured zombies from 1985 to 1987. Holy cow. Yeah, it's, it's really picking up steam. Um, and by the way, that's going to be dwarfed in comparison uh, to the 2000s. Um, okay. And it's also starting to invade more and more genres. Rom-coms, black exploitation films, spy thrillers, teen movies, buddy cop movies, etc., are all zombie movies too. And zombies are featured in them because it's something that everyone at this point is aware of. However, the fear of these zombies is pretty widely lampooned, and I think that's really interesting. It's only the Romero films that we see everybody actually being afraid of it. Everyone else just seems to think that they're set dressing um, and not worth analyzing. And perhaps that in itself is mm. is indicative of something. Because okay. by 1987, the threat of nuclear annihilation has been with Americans for almost 40 years, and it's faded to the background, and it's being ratcheted down. It's not an immediate, or is it a realistic danger to many people, just like the zombies. Okay. And if we're not taking it seriously, the amount of social commentary that such a movie can elicit is nearly non-existent. And 
that's where this, I'm going to. This yeah. Okay. That's where I'm going to stop for tonight. Okay. So if I right. figured out how to push the goddamn monitor button, we would be recording another episode already. You know. But as it is. Um, it, yeah. So you're you know, gonna have to we, we got we to gotta knock, the, knock the bugs out of it. Yep. Um, get, get back to this mode. Yep. Yeah, I you know I think it's I think it's interesting because the first time when, when I saw Return of the Living Dead Part Two, um, this would have been this would have been in ninety or ninety one. Mm-hmm. I was I was in high school, and as I've said umpteen times before, I'm, I'm a horror movie wimp. The, the only reason I wound up watching it was because of the circumstances surrounding the whole mm-hmm. thing, um, and. I didn't pick up personally on it being that funny. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, like it didn't, it didn't strike me as a comedy because of all of the horror movie trappings and me just not being a fan of, of the genre. Sure. Um, but looking back on it now, yeah, it's, it's pretty clearly one. And, and the thing that I find that, that is, that is now kind of sticking with me is what you said about zombies becoming set dressing in all of these mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever zombies. Yeah. Fine. We, we're telling this other story. Zombies is part of it, but it's, it's like, you know, the, the subgenre is a zombie thriller, a zombie mm-hmm. comedy, a zombie, whatever. And, the the ubiquity of them mm-hmm. and what you said about you know nuclear holocaust having become you know background noise yep background radiation as it were yeah. in our daily lives at that point i think is really telling mm-hmm. um that it's, that it's amazing what you can normalize with constant oh, all exposure kinds of stuff. yeah yeah yeah. Um so I think I think that's that's my I, I mean at this at this point in our in our discussion of this that's my my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Well good. Um, good. Yeah, I mean you're you're right in track with kind of what I'm thinking. So of course I think you're right. Uh yeah. but yeah, I mean ultimately <laughs> I do think that as as existential threats fade, so do do the zombies uh in our movies. So uh got anything for people to read? Uh, not at present. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't have any, any big recommendations at the moment. Um, but how about you? Yeah, I have two. Um, the first one okay. is the zombie survival guide. So there were a series of survival guides that came out in the mid early two thousands. Um, and you could tell like zombies really, really kicked in and we'll talk about why that is in a few episodes really kicked in, in the early two thousands. And, uh, somebody wrote a zombie survival guide and really it's a survival guide of, well, give it a read and think about who the zombies actually represent. It is a decent survival (laughs) guide though. It it tells you about how to get by and filter water and stuff like that, but also what to do if a horde of, some type of people attack you, here's how you can defend yourself from them. So that would be the first one I recommend. Uh, The other one I recommend is actually a Star Wars book. Um, And it is called, where did it go? I had it here in front of me. 
Ah, Death Troopers. Okay. Star Wars meets zombies. There's actually two really? two two books of zombie stuff, but the second one sucks. Uh, the first one is pretty good. <laughs> well, the second one's set actually in uh, pre like in in old Republic times. There's some cool stuff to it actually, but by and large, the second one, the 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 first one that came out, Death Troopers, way better. It's a, it's about a prison ship. Um, and of course the only problem I have with it, spoiler alert, is that Han Solo and Chewbacca end up on it. Um, and it's like, you didn't need them for this to actually work. Uh, but what I loved about it was that there is this thing called a quorum, uh, virus. So essentially once the bacterial count gets to be big enough to have a quorum in your body, then it takes over you. Um, so it goes undetected until then. And the same thing is true in large groups of zombies. They can cooperate. They can be made intelligent once there's enough of them. Otherwise, they're fairly ineffective and just kind of easy to pick off. So uh, I, I thought that was kind of a cool yeah. little wrinkle uh, in Star nice. Wars in space. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I'm recommending. So where can right. people find you on the social medias? I can be found on the social media at uh, Mr. Blaylock on uh, the Instagram and on Tiki Talk and at E.H. Blaylock on the Twitter. And where can you be found, sir? You could find me at Duh Harmony, two H's in the middle, on both Twitter and Insta. Uh, that's pretty much all you'll find me there right now. Um, also, uh, by the time this drops, we may or may not be having our October show digitally. But check me out on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. And there's always a good pun show going on there. So those are the places you can All find right. me. And corporately, cool, cool. where can they find us? As as a duo, uh, we can be found uh, on uh, Twitter at Geek History Time. And our website, of course, is geekhistorytime.com. Geek History of Time. Of time. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Geekhistoryoftime.com. Yep. Uh, and uh, the podcast itself, of course, can be found on Spotify, uh, I, iTunes and Stitcher. Stitcher. Yep. Stitcher. Um, and so please go there, check us out. Uh, if you haven't done it already, please subscribe. Please give us the five stars that you know we deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Cool. Otherwise. All right. Well, for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And remember, until next time, aim for the head. <laughs>